Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. But you know, women are extremely important. That's a great place for you ladies to say something. Women are extremely important. Come on. I'm just telling you, have, has anyone took a pulse of like the modern Western evangelical church? Women just aren't celebrated. I'm just, I'm just being honest here today. Women aren't celebrated. And you know, Jesus celebrated women. Come on. These are, these are good points. Now, this isn't feminism. Feminism is a response to thousands and thousands of years of the boot of men on the neck of women. I understand that response. That, that's how we, in, in a worldly way, respond to things. And so I understand the idea of feminism. But I know this, that in the kingdom, if we're living kingdom way, there's no patriarchy present. And so today I want to ask this question, how did Jesus view women? Say that with me. How did Jesus view women? This is really important because if we're, if we're believers, if we're followers of Jesus, if we're, I'm a disciple of Jesus, do you know that disciples in that day, followers of their rabbi, would do everything they could to mimic every move of the rabbi. They looked to the rabbi as the, the supreme example for their life, and so they would follow this. And I believe that the followers of Jesus betrayed this same thing that Jesus did. How did Jesus view women? He grew up, you know, in a highly patriarchal society. But see, he did and said some really radical things regarding women. And when you look at it, it's as though Jesus was correcting the notion that women are less than in society. So I want to clear some of this up. Now, we could go several different ways with this. You know, we could look at the letters of Paul, which we're not going to today because there's some things in there. Let me just say this, things about women keeping silent and all those. How many know this? If you don't know, I'm going I'm I'm to explain it today, is that when letters were written and things were written, they were written by particular people, talking about Scripture, in particular time frames, to particular people for particular reasons. Does that make sense? So, unfortunately, what we've done sometimes is we've taken a scripture and we've blanketed all centuries, all time, you know, all cultures with one scripture that was meant specifically for maybe one church or a group of churches. Does this make sense? Now, if you have an issue with that, that's cool. We can talk later. I'm completely open. I have an open door policy. I want to hear what you got to say. But today I want to look at what Jesus thought about women. So let's start in the Gospel of Luke. Oh, I got plenty of time. Awesome. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. We're going to start with verse 38. Now, I think just over the last few weeks, we've actually touched on this scripture. Uh, This is just a a beautiful portion here, the story. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary. Now, this is really interesting, and this is what I always like to do when we read scripture Let's not just glaze over the top of it. Again, these words were written in particular ways, very specific to get a point across. So I want us to see what was Mary doing. Look at this. Here is Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. What is she doing? She's sitting at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But, say but, Martha was distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. She came to him. Who did she come to? 
Jesus, look at this, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Look at this next line. Tell her to help me. I don't know if you're catching on to this, but Martha knew Jesus. They had a relationship. I mean, she calls him Lord, which could have been more like sir. It's a way of saying something reverently. And I do believe that she felt like Jesus was potentially, if not the Messiah. I believe there was a respect. But I also want us to see the openness they had in dialogue. Because firstly, a woman in this time would not talk to a man like this. So there's already something here, if we catch on to it, different about Jesus, okay? She's like, don't you care? She's left me to do everything. Tell her to help me. I love that she can be herself. But look at Jesus just as openly says, Martha, Martha, I love this. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. In fact, only one. I love how he interrupts himself. You ever done that? You say, you know, really, you're talking to your kids, and you're like, you know, there's a couple. No, let me narrow it down. There's one thing that's most important. What does he say? Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. So what Jesus is saying is what Mary's doing right now is the most important thing. Now, we're going to catch on to why in just a moment. But I don't want to miss something here that's really important in Luke as we find out how Jesus felt about Jewish attitudes concerning, concerning women and their place in society, their place in culture, their place in religion. We can see here quite clearly that there's a study in contrast. Now think about this. There's, there's two ladies here, two sisters. What are their names? Martha and Mary. Now Martha takes on the role of, we could just say, the traditional Jewish hostess. I mean, this is just what she did. So let me say this. What she was doing wasn't wrong. Sometimes what we do is we make this comparison, we pit them against each other, and we say, Mary good, Martha bad. Not true. Martha was doing what I believe she was gifted to do. I mean, she was a hostess. She, a hostess with the mostest, as my dad would say. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds cool because it rhymes. But she could cook. She could, I mean, she probably whipped up some meals. Jesus is like, guess what? We're in Bethany. Guess where we're going? The disciples are like, please tell me Martha's house. Why? Because she makes the best stuff around. So she's doing what, she's, what she does. But she takes on the traditional role. What I want us to see here is Luke is writing something very specific for us to catch on to. He's showing this, this difference here, this contrast. So she takes on the traditional Jewish, Jewish hostess role while Mary represents the attentive disciple. Now, I want us to catch on to something. There's a phrase here, the phrase to sit at the feet of. Say, sit at the feet of. Now, this is often used as a technical phrase, meaning to be a disciple of. See, if we just read over this, we're like, well, that makes sense. You know, the lady needs to be at the woman's feet, right? But that's not what, was, what it was saying. Jesus, who was seen as a rabbi, as a teacher, as someone to follow, was many people sat at his feet to learn, to learn and mimic who he was and what he was about and what he said. And here we have Mary. And in this technical phrase, we could literally say that Mary was a disciple of Jesus. Now, we're in the 21st century, like, yeah, that sounds cool, but in the time of Jesus, not so cool. 
And so when Martha becomes irritated with Mary's failure to help in the kitchen to fulfill that Jewish hostess role, she even berates Jesus for not doing something about it. What happens here is the story takes a rather surprising turn. Jesus does not dismiss Mary to the hospitality committee. Oh, oh, sorry, Martha, I wasn't realizing that she was sitting at my feet with the other disciples. Mary, you know your place. Get in the kitchen and make me a sandwich. Did you notice Jesus didn't do that? Now, if he did, us guys would be like, amen, brother. Amen. No, but, but that's not what happens. Jesus does something completely different. Instead of saying, go to the kitchen and, and do your thing and, and fulfill your role, he actually suggests that Mary has chosen the better way for herself, which, by the way, he says, will not be taken from her. Now, this is Jesus. He was looked up to. He was seen as a teacher, as a rabbi, and he was saying something about these women roles that were different than society. In other words, Jesus says, she has the right to be my disciple, and I don't expect her to be a hostess. Isn't that awesome? I think it's pretty cool. Now, again, we have to understand, when we read Scripture, we have to almost put ourselves into that time frame and how thinking was. Now, Jesus saying this, of course, is in line with his teaching elsewhere that nothing has a greater priority than following Jesus, than following me. His way, the kingdom way, is the best way. But, say but, its application to women would have been seen as unacceptable in Jewish circles. This was not an acceptable thing. Jesus was always about shaking people's paradigm, trying to change the way that people thought, even when it came to women. Come on, ladies. Now, if we look at Luke chapter 8, we know that there were many women amongst Jesus' traveling entourage. And, in fact, the fact that there were women traveling with Jesus even that would have been considered scandalous since they probably weren't the wives of the disciples. So literally, you have these ladies following Jesus. This was unheard of. When you would see in this day a rabbi, see, rabbis would walk around the city, and whoever their disciples, their pupils, their students were, they would follow them everywhere. Remember, Jamie Engelhart was saying that um, they would even, this sounds crazy, but they would even go into the restroom with them. Because they wanted, to, they wanted to know exactly how everything was supposed to be done according to the rabbi. I know that sounds crazy, but that's how it was in this time. But a lady would not be found following a rabbi. Yet Jesus had these ladies. And so I'm going to look here at Luke chapter 8. We're going to break this down a little bit. This is just so cool. You know, I've said several times over the last several months about the fact that Jesus had women disciples, uh, that Jesus had ladies that actually supported his ministry financially. And so I thought it's been a long time. I want to show you some things in here that I believe are going to help you to maybe break the mold of the ideas that we thought when it comes to women serving in the church and leading in the church. Did you hear me? Leading in the church. Look at this, Luke chapter 8, verse 1. It says, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Say hallelujah. It's good news. The 12 were with him. Who were with him? Okay. Now Luke's writing to us. He's not just 
bored one day and writing some stuff to write it. He's being, being very specific. We've talked about this before that in this day, when they would literally write stuff down, we don't know if Luke himself was writing. A lot of times they would, would hire uh, um, people who would actually write for them, and they would take sometimes months to develop, like, summaries. Remember in school when you'd have to do, what was it, the big, um, not term paper, but the, I was really good at them. I forgot the name. Thesis or whatever. You'd have to go through each thing. First, you come up with an idea. Then you have to have an outline. I hated this, man. That's probably why I forgot the name. But they would take time before they would actually put this into print as a letter. Okay, this would take a long time. And so I want us to understand that Luke isn't flippantly putting these things. So he's saying this, that Jesus traveled from one town and village to another. Okay, we get that. What was he talking about? The good news of the kingdom of God. Okay, great. Who was with him? The 12 were with him. Okay, that's, that makes sense, right? The 12 disciples were with him. But look at this. And also some woman who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Okay, wait a minute, Luke. Okay, what, what are we doing here? Why are we putting the ladies into this? Let's stick with the guys. Not only does he say some women, he starts to get very specific with names. Look at this. Who was the first one? Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Very specific here, Luke. Look at this. Who's the other? Joanna, the wife of Chuza. Say Chuza. It looks like Chuza, but it's Chuza if you're Hebrew. Who was Chuza? The manager of Herod's household. Oh, this is getting interesting. Who else? Susanna. They wrote a song about her. Does anyone remember? Oh, Susan. Anyway, I'm not going to go there. And look at this. And many... Others. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You've got to put yourself into this time frame. If you're reading what Luke's saying, he's saying that Jesus is going from town to town and village to village. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. That in and of itself is something we'll open up in just a second. It also says he had some women with him. And then he goes on to specifically name Mary, Joanna, Susanna, and then he puts, and many others. Now, at some point, you got to be going, okay, this is, Jesus, what are you doing here? What's going on? But look at the next line. He did not have to put this, and he does. These women, say these women, were helping to support them out of their own means. See, when I've said that women financially supported the ministry of Jesus, you're probably like, okay, where'd you pull that from, Pastor? Luke told me. Right here in chapter 8 of his gospel, in verse 3, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. In other words, these women provided financial support for Jesus and his disciples. Now, that's pretty cool. Now, think about this. These women had fascinating stories, like Mary Magdalene, who had previously been possessed by how many demons? Someone counted. Someone literally, I mean, he could have put, I guess, any number, but he said seven. This lady had seven demons. Can you imagine her perspective on things? Can you imagine? I mean, listen, there's some crazy people in the world, you know. If, you've, if you don't know there's any crazy people in the world, you might be the crazy person. Just saying, but we all have a little crazy, right? But seven demons, can you imagine living in that pain, and that torment. And then 
that fast taken away. Jesus heals you. No wonder Mary followed Jesus. He radically transformed her life. I mean, was she able to even hold down a job or have a relationship in that position, in that way of life? And now Jesus changed everything for her radically. You can almost feel, as you're reading this, Luke's agenda by including a line like that, can't you? See, he wants you to see what Jesus was about. He wants you to see what Jesus was doing, the kind of people that Jesus attracted, the kind of people his message is for. It's for the Marys, those who have been tormented and have broken hearts. He came to heal the brokenhearted. And then there's Joanna. Say, Joanna. Who's Joanna again? Oh, yeah, the wife of Huza. I like that, man. You're getting into that Hebrew thing. The wife of Huza. And who is Huza? The manager of Herod's household. Okay, if, you're not, if you haven't caught on to this, this is like a bomb that's dropped right in the middle of a paragraph. Why? I think we need a little bit of background. Say, give me some background, Pastor. I want some history. So Herod the Great was the king of Israel who died somewhere around the year four. Now, he was a chief figure who dominated his king for 40 years, say 40 years, a full generation. This didn't happen that often, right? People didn't always live that long. And so this Herod, he built massive palaces, uh, theaters, fortresses. He was really known for killing lots of people. Oh, good job, Herod, including his wife and some of his sons, Apparently, they got on his nerves. I don't know what he felt about Mother's Day, but I'm, yeah. In fact, he's the one who ordered the execution of all children under the age of two when Jesus was born. Same Herod. Now, when he died, Rome decided to divide his kingdom among his sons. Say, my three sons. And so Philip got the east. Herod Antipas got Galilee. And Archelaus got Judea, which included Jerusalem. Now, Archelaus, his rule was short-lived, and he ultimately was replaced by a Roman governor named Pilate. Yes, that Pilate. We just heard about that Pilate recently, right? Philip also faded quickly, and Herod Antipas was given Galilee. This is where Jesus was born and raised. And so you have Jesus coming onto the scene, and here's Herod Antipas. He was the ruler of Galilee at the time. And Herod Antipas was a very, very rich man. He is the king. He owns lots of land. He has palaces and guards and servants, a massive household, the biggest in the entire country. And who managed the king's household? Huza. So Huza, think about this. He would have the responsibility for a massive amount of wealth, which would have brought a massive amount of wealth to Huza. Think about this. What does he do? He shares his wealth with his wife, who is traveling with a rabbi by the name of Jesus, and she's paying the bills. Isn't that wild how this comes full circle? Now, let's pause for a moment and let that settle in. Joanna would have been the elite. She wasn't a queen. She wasn't a princess, but she was part of of the elite. If you've watched any movie, any show, you know, you always have that court and there's the elite in there, right? And so you think about this, she had everything. Her husband was second only to Herod. 
I mean, he was like second in command. He ran the whole household. He controlled the massive amount of wealth. That's lavish banquets with singers and dancers. That's beautiful homes scattered around the country. Well, come on, we see millionaires and billionaires living like this now, right? That's the best clothes, the best art, the best food. But apparently that's a life that she doesn't find very interesting because she's sharing a room at the Holiday Inn Express with Mary who had seven demons. I mean, is, is there any question in your mind, like, what is going on? There must have been something about Jesus. Why would she give up all of that to travel with this rabbi and stay in these cheap motels? I'm sure they weren't in, like, five-star hotels, right? But she's part of the elite, and she gave that up. She's sitting around dinner tables with small-town fishermen who are probably in their late teens or early 20s. But there's something else she experiences. She sees Jesus heal people. She sees Jesus feed people. She sees Jesus delivering people. Healing their physical ailments. Healing broken hearts. And there's something about Jesus that captivates her. And she realizes I've had everything, the best of everything, and it doesn't measure up to relationship with Jesus. There's something about Jesus that is captivating to her. And not only that, get this, Jesus allows her and even gives her the right to be called a disciple in his ministry. Something unheard of in this time. Are you catching this? Come on, ladies. See, that's why... I find it so ridiculous when man-made religion tries to push women to the side, or even worse, down beneath the male-dominated landscape. It's not right. And I listen, I'm friends with a lot of pastors who would disagree with me, and I know that they have good hearts for people. But how many know that we live out of how we think? How we live, how we speak, It's all based on how we think. And so, you know, if people don't agree with us, that's okay. This is one, this is an art that we've lost in the modern era, is the ability to have conversations with people we don't agree with and still see them as human beings. Still see them as people with hopes and dreams and emotions and wins and losses and hurts. Does this make sense? And so I'm not here at all trying to rail against people. But if I call myself a follower of Jesus, then maybe I should reflect the way that Jesus sees women. I can't be concerned with what a denomination may tell me. I have to be concerned with what I see Jesus say. Now, again, I don't know everything. I study I dig deep. I'm going to be wrong on some stuff. We're all going to wake up at eternity one, one day and go, oh, my gosh, I was wrong on this, this, and that. And, oh, I was right on three things. Praise the Lord. And you know what? Heavenly Father will still say, well done, good and faithful servant. You did the best with what you had. So, again, I'm not railing against other people. That's the problem in not just the world but in the church. Come on, church. we got to be better than this. 
We look just like the kingdoms of this world. It's like you said, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, posting things on, on social media that look nothing like the kingdom. No condemnation, but before, before you press send or enter, stop, pause, pray, talk to Holy Spirit, read it about 10 times, and I bet you about 80% of the time, delete, delete, delete may happen. Just saying. We're going to blame that on the Holy Spirit because it wasn't in my notes. But continuing in this idea of Herod's kingdom versus Jesus' kingdom, a little bit later in Luke, we see this in Luke chapter 13, verse 31. Look at this. At that time, say at that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Why? Herod wants to kill you. Now, there's a couple things we can catch in this, and I'm not going to go on for hours, but who came to warn him? The Pharisees. Man, we give them such a bad rap sometimes. Do you know there were literally Pharisees that loved Jesus, that followed Jesus, that considered themselves disciples of Jesus? And so they were trying to help Jesus. They're like, leave this place. They're like, dude, I'm telling you right now, Herod wants to kill you. Well, well of course he does. Herod rules the kingdom. And guess what? It's absolutely imperative for him that his kingdom remain the only kingdom. Have you seen any shows about kingdoms and rulers? <laughs> it's, it's imperative to them that their kingdom is the only kingdom, right? And what's Jesus doing? He's going from village to village, town to town, and announcing the arrival of another kingdom, the kingdom of God. Now, if they would have understood that he's talking about a spiritual kingdom, he's talking about a way of live, maybe it could have helped. But man, when you start saying, this is the crazy thing. People think that early Christians were fed the lions and the disciples were martyred because they were having, they were teaching people that there's a life after this one and you can be with God. They weren't being martyred because they were preaching afterlife messages. They were being martyred because they were preaching there's another kingdom in town and another king <laughs> in Rome. Has anyone ever studied Rome? Very gentle, sweet people. In fact, you know, crucifixion, history tells us, I can't remember. I need to look this up. I don't know if it was the Assyrians or the Babylonians, one of them who began crucifixion, but they say Rome perfected it. Of all the things that you could have perfected and been really good at, it was crucifixion, right? So, of course, Herod wants to kill him. He's talking about another kingdom. And this is interesting. It's a kingdom that isn't built around the rich oppressing the poor and powerful kings who use, you know, great military forces to keep the weak in submission. It's a kingdom built on unity, built on nonviolence, built on love, built on a compassion for those who are suffering. It's a completely different kingdom. It's totally different. But here's the thing. For Herod, any other kingdom than his kingdom is a threat. So what does he want? He wants Jesus dead. But this is the great thing. How does Jesus respond to the Pharisees who are telling him, dude, you need to get out of town because Herod wants to kill you. Wait, before, before we get into that and we look at Jesus and what he says, let me give you a bit of background. Say, Pastor, tell us the history. <laughs> In ancient Jewish culture, if you were to talk about how great and significant and amazing a man was, you would describe him as a lion. How do, what do they call Jesus? The Lion of Judah. 
his followers saw him as significant and great and life-changing and creation-altering. He was a lion. But get this, if a man was a liar, a fake, a phony, an imposter, you would call him a fox. How does Jesus respond when he's told that king wants him dead? He replied, go tell that fox. Did you get Holy Ghost goosebumps? He didn't back down. Listen, Jesus wasn't mean-spirited, but he's calling things out. He speaks the truth in love. He's like, go tell that fox. Can you imagine the people they would, he just called Herod a phony, a fake, and an imposter. He says this, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will reach my goal. Now that's a king. That's a king. That's the king that I chose to follow. How about you? See, Jesus wants people to know that the kingdom he's announcing isn't like the kingdoms of the world. And here's a little side note that you might find interesting. Herod and the Herodians, as they were referred to, stole the throne. Now, I know that's hard to believe, but have you, again, seen any series where where someone, one family steals the throne from another family. They stole the throne. Whose heir should have been on the throne? Anyone familiar with Jewish history? King David's. Man, I'm glad Bruce is here this morning. King David's heir. Guess who is in the lineage of King David? Mary, the mother of Jesus. Come on. She actually was heir to the throne, which by marriage would have made Joseph, her husband, heir as well, which made Jesus the true king of Israel. And Jesus calls Herod a fake, an imposter, a poser. Well, Jesus had to die. Well, yeah, look at it. He's challenging kingdoms. That's what happens. Sometimes, and maybe we'll get into, man, Tom, you and I need to sit down, and we need to, Tom's like, really? Why would you include me in this? We need to sit down because he's an awesome teacher. And maybe one time we'll do a series about the different theories of atonement. That would be kind of fun. Because how many know there's more than one? Did you? It's pretty cool. So he calls him out. He says, you're a poser. You're an imposter. Now, I want us here, as we kind of draw this to a conclusion, I want us to connect all the dots, okay? So Herod wants to kill Jesus because Jesus is proclaiming a kingdom other than Herod's, and that makes Jesus a threat. Does that make sense? But Jesus is able to travel around announcing this subversive message of a different kingdom than Herod's because there's a group of women who travel with Jesus and pay his bills, including a woman named Joanna who has lots of money because her husband is a household manager who gets paid by Herod. Herod, in other words, ends up indirectly funding the very resistance movement he's trying to stamp out. Isn't that awesome? Listen, if you think the Bible's boring, you're not reading it right. There's so many cool things in there. It's like, wait a minute. Herod wants to kill Jesus. It came full circle. But Herod's money is supporting the ministry of Jesus. I think that is so awesome. That's why Luke wrote this. I bet you as Luke was putting this together, he must have been laughing. He must have been like, oh, my gosh. Okay, guys, I got, I got the scoop. You know how those reporters are. I got the scoop. I got to break this story, man. 
as people are reading this, they would put the dots, they would connect the dots, and they would go, this is crazy. This is so wild. But to me, that's divine appointment, man. See, you can't hold back the kingdom of God. And what's beautiful here is in just a few words in a paragraph in the eighth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, it changes everything. It changes our perspective. It never ends when you're reading the Bible. You dive in and discover there's a whole world of depth and intrigue and innuendo and story just below the surface. There's always something more going on. And so what I see through this, it's not just a funny story. It's an awesome story because Jesus loved women. And he loved for both men and women to be part of his ministry. In fact, for both men and women to be his followers, a.k.a. his disciples. Women were disciples. Are you catching this? I want women here this morning and all those hearing this message to be empowered by what you've heard today. To realize that Jesus is no respecter of persons, and that includes genders. You have gifts and callings that are needed and necessary. You see, being a woman doesn't disqualify you from what God has called and gifted you to do. Someone needs to hear that this morning. Because you know in your heart of hearts that I'm gifted, I'm called. But maybe you grew up in a church Maybe you grew up in a household where women were second class, where they weren't seen as the same. I want you to see that Jesus is raising that to where all are created equal. And by the way, that's how it's always been from the beginning of time. Do you know that both Adam and Eve, according to the creation story, were made in the image and likeness of God? Not just a man. Now, are there particular roles that we can all fulfill and maybe fulfill better than the other? Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, I just said this morning we're celebrating moms because mom just do a better job of nurturing. There's something about that female attribute. And and here's the beauty of it. I've said this before, but I'll say it again, is that when you look all through Scripture, I often say that, you know, human beings, we're always trying to figure out what is God? Who is God? Is there a God? Why am I here? Right? We, we all ask these questions. It's nothing new in the 21st century. And so we're always trying to put skin and bone on God. Well, I'm going to know that God is spirit. But we can see all through scripture that God has called several things, a fortress, a rock, a mighty tower. God has given male and female attributes I mean, one of the names of God, El Shaddai, means all-breasty one, all-sufficient one. I mean, it's one who supplies and nurtures. And so when I see the creation of man and woman, I see that we have two genders that are completely built in the image and likeness of God. Again, we can fulfill different roles. I get that but we're created equal. And one thing I can say that I am proud of here at Faith City is that we, dis, we don't discount the gifts of women because they're female. And Jesus didn't either, did he? Again, being a woman doesn't disqualify you 
for what God has called and gifted you to do. I want to wrap up with this final verse in Galatians. The Apostle Paul wrote this. This is out of the Mirror Bible. This is so cool. He says, Nothing resembles your previous identity as Jew or Gentile, bond or free, male or female, billabong or Gucci. Now you are all defined in oneness with Christ. He, say he, is your significant and makes you beautiful. (laughs) Look at the person next to you and say, you're beautiful. God made you the way you are. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. Man, I'm so thankful that in these modern times we have access to Scripture, access to people who literally were here when you were here, walked with you, talked with you, and the ability to dig deeper and look into the original language and discover what's really truly being said. Because when we begin to see this, it does change our perspective, or at least it should. And we can see here that women are important. Women are necessary. Women aren't less than a man. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're working in the hearts of ladies today who maybe feel like they've been brushed aside, maybe feel like they've been looked down upon, Maybe they've been in situations where they know that they know that they know that they're called and they have a purpose, but it seems like every turn they take, there's a wall. There's a wall of religion. There's a wall of ideology. There's a wall of thinking that doesn't quite allow them to do what they've been called to do. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you're breaking down those walls in your kingdom because they don't belong that we can see that there's no longer Jew or Gentile, bond or free, male or female, but that we're all equal in our beauty and our significance comes from you, Jesus. And we're one in you. And again, we thank you for just a special grace today and this week for moms, moms who maybe even are single and struggling with kids who aren't listening and all those things, give them strength, give them energy, give them encouragement. I pray that you would even place people in their pathway to help in those tough times, in those tough days, those tough weeks, those tough months. For moms who are struggling financially, I call finances into their life right now in Jesus' name. We don't care how it comes. Someone can give them something, the check can show up in the mail, they can get a raise on the job, maybe less hours, more money, who knows? We call it in in Jesus' name. But we thank you so much that, Holy Spirit, you're continually reminding us of who we are and whose we are. And as we begin to shift that idea in our mind, we begin to see that we speak, we think, and we act differently because we're beginning to see who we truly are, children of God. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Did you receive that this morning? For more information about Faith City Church, 
please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.